Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 28th, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, June 26th, is 7758. That's 7758. This morning, A Vision for You presents Recovery isn't free. Steps one and two have prepared us. The foundation of our spiritual process is having a personal experience of powerlessness. Powerless. That is the conclusion of the process so far. Our efforts, energy, desire have not delivered the hoped-for results. We are restless, we are irritable, and we are discontent. Lack of power is our dilemma. We have to find a power other than ourselves. Step two only requires that we be willing to try to find our higher power. Now that we've admitted we're powerless over food and we've come to believe or are willing to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity, We're ready for step three. There is no time to procrastinate. Our choice is between compulsive overeating and a power greater than we are. There are no compromises. There are no half measures. There are no in-betweens. Freedom isn't free. A price must be paid. In order to be completely relieved of the mental obsession to compulsively overeat, we've got to make a vital and crucial decision. Joining us today to speak on step three is Sharon R.S. from Minnesota. Sharon is committed to the enlargement of her spiritual life and spiritual practice and to being a source of solace and service to the OA community and beyond. And we welcome Sharon R.S. to the line this morning. Sharon, we don't hear you. There we go. Good morning, Leah. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. And good morning to all of you on the line. I'm Sharon R.S. I'm very grateful to be with you this morning. I am a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God and by the help of uh, the people in this program. I have a problem. I thought it was food. I thought I could just manage and control what I ate and I would be like more normal people. I would look like normal people and my life would be better. Of course, uh, being a normal weight for years in itself didn't free me from the insanity and unmanageability of my life because food and body weight, how I looked, how much money I have, and any of those external material things, what my husband does or doesn't do, my kids, how they talk to me, whether they succeed or not, none of these heal me. None of these set me free. But the big book has taught me that
that although I do have a physical disease and an allergy of the body coupled with a mental obsession, this is not the root of my problem. The root of my problem is that I am selfish and self-centered. It says this in many places on page 62 in particular. So I want to just sit with this a moment and um, because recognizing and, and accepting this has been critical for my recovery. And I hope it will, uh, in, in looking at this, it will turn some light onto you as well. Uh, selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my problems, it says on page 62. This, we think, is the root of our problems, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. And so that's where I want to begin. Uh, It was a huge step for me to realize that uh, I, myself, um, was ill, that this problem of eating is really but a symptom, however, of a very of this very serious disease. On page sixty-four, um, here in the big book, it it talks. It says our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. So the root of my problem is selfishness and self-centeredness. The the eating, the the weight. Uh, was just a symptom, and I had to get down to the real core of my problem, which was selfishness and self-centeredness. It was, it was in the end, it was all about me. On page 30, it talks about, and this was really, this is a big pill to, to swallow on page 30. Most of, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. So, I I know I have a problem, I'm sick, yet it's hard for me to admit that I'm a real compulsive overeater, that I really have this problem. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. So my body's different, my mind is different from my fellows. But interestingly enough, I wanted to feel like I was terminally unique that there was no one like me, that no one else could understand. I was all alone. But the truth is, and I'm happy to say that you are all in this with me. I'm not happy that you have the disease, of course, but I, I'm happy that you're here with me, that, we're, that I'm not alone. Uh, and, but I, it says here, therefore, it's not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts Without there, I, I I tried and tried and tried. There was no uh, in myself. I could not, could not get recovered. The great obsession of every abnormal eater is that I one day somehow, some way, I am going to be able to eat like a normal person, but not just eat. I wanted to be normal. I felt like a freak, and I wanted to 
desperately to be normal. But I had to fully concede to my innermost self that I was. I was not like other people, and I never will be like other people. Uh, The delusion had to be smashed. I had to accept that I had lost the ability to control my eating. I had lost. And I didn't want to accept that. I wanted to think that I had one last slug in me, one last try, one last effort, one last way, one last means that I wasn't really delusional, that I was like normal people. But every time I ended up with pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, I always, every time, it just took one bite, one belief in myself that I could do it. That's all it took. And I was right back looking up at the ceiling, wondering how, why, when, you know, with a bloated stomach was uh, uh, for me oftentimes in the emergency room. And I had to admit that not only did I have a disease and illness, but it was progressive. It was always only going to go in a bad direction. Never, ever, ever was I going to just grow out of it. I was stuck. I am not like most people uh, in any way, but I'm also... Uh, with those on the line, uh, you know, I'm I'm like you because I'm a compulsive overeater. And so I, I do have identification in this world. I am not uh, a freak of nature. I am. I have a disease and illness like someone who has um, kidney issues or or uh, maybe even someone who is manic depressive. I, I have a, an illness that has a category that has a has uh, symptoms and that has um, very definite um, uh, aspects to it. But what, but what makes it, it's odd because when I, if I pick up that first bite, I can't help but eat the next one and, and then it takes on a life of its own. And once I, so once I start, I can't stop. And once I stop, I can't help but start. How can I ever get out of this malaise? How can I ever get out of this place? Um, and it's, it's, what's amazing is that I've been stopped for over a decade. I haven't had to take that first compulsive bite on page. Uh, so, so the question for me is what is the key? What is the key? What is the key? to stopping for those on the line who may be seeking to stop. There is a solution. What is it? How was it that I, who was crazy in the food, couldn't even work? I tell you, I was so bad. I was a bottom-level compulsive overeater who I was afraid that I was going to have to go permanently on Social Security because I couldn't stop. And once I started, I was crazy. My life was so unmanageable. Insanity. I was insane. But I have to tell you, when I came to this step and they said, you know, when they talked about insanity in step two, I just thought they were, they were crazy because I didn't feel like I was insane. 
Yet I had eaten myself. I'd eat, and I'd end up in the emergency room. And I got so bad I couldn't even work. But it says on page, so what is the key? Page 34 in the 12 and 12. Practicing step, step three is like opening the opening of a door which to all appearances is still closed and locked. You see, I, the door was closed to me. I was in the rooms of OA for 10 years, and I couldn't get a permanent recovery. I was still, my life got better, but my life was still unmanageable. But here's the answer. All we need is a key. What is the key? And the decision to swing the door open. So we need the key and we need the decision. We need to make a decision. And we need a key. What is the key? The key, once unlocked by willingness, the key is willingness. I have to become willing. The door opens almost of itself, and that's what happened to me. One day, one day, I became completely willing. And willing and the door uh, swung open almost on itself and um, so it it that's what happened and for decades in the room for for years 10 years a decade recovering I, I couldn't get relief I was hopeless I uh, no one I, I tried I tried everything. I asked. I, I went to uh, conventions. I, I, I did service. I was, I was in the inner group, and, and I worked in inner group. I did everything I thought I, I, I could. And then after my second, and I got some relief, I have to tell you. I, I got well enough to return to work. I got well enough to get married. I had uh, two children. And then when after my second child was born, it was like the floodgate opened, and I could not. I tried everything, and I could not stop eating, and I was totally hopeless, and I, um, and I have to let you know that eating for me is not, I will probably, I, I would never get to be 300 pounds. There's, there's no way I'll get, the most I've been is 164 pounds so so I could stay in I could be in the rooms and when I first came in the rooms uh 20 uh what was it 23 years ago I was 130 pounds so why do I need to be here and I I played that game over and over maybe I'm not a compulsive maybe I don't have to be here because I could control uh and uh food and I would manipulate it so that because weight was always my gauge. As long as I was a certain weight, I was okay. But the truth of the matter is, I, I sometimes think people who come in the rooms and who are a quote-unquote normal rate are crazier than the people who are bigger because all of the things you have to do to maintain that weight when you're a compulsive overeater. The other thing about me is that I have a medical condition, several, and I have food allergies. So if I eat certain food, I get immediate repercussions. When I eat wheat, I get a, a, um, uh, like uh, arthritic symptoms, like joint. Uh, I think it's my joints 
swell and I get aches and pains and I limp. And when I was in my 20s, my coworkers used to say, Sharon, call me the old lady because I would limp about um, uh, often after I would go on a particular binge I would because I would get pain in my joints. And when I eat dairy, I get asthmatic symptoms. And I've been in the emergency room uh, on several occasions. And, um, and, and I have soy and then I have hay fever and I have all of these. So I have this body that, that, um, is problematic, but I have a mind that is, that, that tells me I, I just a little bit won't hurt. And then once I eat it, I have a body that can't stop eating it, even in the threat of another emergency run which could end up very badly and um, uh, is, is, is quite, of course, as you know, asthma is life-threatening. And, but I would tell myself, a little bit won't kill you. And it won't kill me. A little bit won't kill me if I could stop at a little bit. But I can't stop at a little bit. And I was in the emergency room once struggling to breathe after I had uh, taken a little bit and then it turned into a lot. And the, the, I heard one doctor telling another doctor, he says, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm having trouble uh, clearing her lungs. They were having trouble helping me to breathe. And you would think that I would stay off of the food, but it did help me. I, I was tenacious. I went back, started working on whatever I could, as hard as I could, uh, and within three months, I was back in the food again. So I did this year after year. What changed for me? I had an eight-month-old. I had a two-and-a-half. I had a three-year-old. My mother and my mother-in-law were frightened for me. They were, they were, you know, of course, making plans. Who was going to take care of the children? Uh, my husband was oblivious, didn't know what was going on. But they knew. I remember once my mother-in-law was at the house and um, helping because I was ill in the bed and I was laying in the bed. And all I could think about, I I would um, buy, uh, when I would go shopping, my husband would make his lunch every day and he liked to have three Oreo, three cookies with his lunch. And, um, and interestingly enough, now he never takes cookies anymore. He never takes cookies. Even though I have them in the house for him, he, he had to stop taking eating them at lunch for so long that um, now he's in the habit of not doing it any longer. But I was laying in the bed. The kids were somewhere, I don't know where. My mother-in-law, I knew, was in the kitchen. And the Oreo cookies were in the kitchen. And I was so sick I couldn't watch the kids. But all I could think about was the Oreo cookies in the kitchen. And I dragged myself out of that bed. And I went down. And I remember her looking at me. And I went in the cupboard. And I just got a handful. I said, only a handful. And I went back up and I got in my bed and I ate those cookies. And then I laid there and I could not, could not get my mind, just couldn't stop thinking about the Oreo cookies in the shelf. And my mother-in-law was in the kitchen, and I don't know where the kids were. 
And I couldn't go down, possibly go down, because it was so shameful. And as you know, because if you're like me, you know what I do. It. I did because I couldn't help myself. I dragged myself out of that bed. And I limped down. And I couldn't take care of my kids. But I could drag myself out of that bed and go down in that cupboard. And my mother-in-law looked at me. And I remember the pitying look that she had. And I felt the hot shame as I reached in the cupboard and I grabbed another handful of the Oreo cookies. And I dragged myself back in the bed and I laid there and I ate them. And I felt such horrifying shame. But that was the state of my life. My only sponsor was also very concerned about me because I was I was very ill. My kidneys were in failure. My cholesterol was 311. I couldn't retain fluid. I was bloated up. I had an appointment with a, a um, uh, kidney doctor to, uh, to do a biopsy so they could figure out what medications they were going to use to regulate my kidneys so that I wouldn't, because I, um, I couldn't retain fluid. And so the fluid was piling up in my legs and, and throughout my body. The doctor said, your kidneys will never re- recover. Yet I have to tell you today, I have no problems with my kidneys. Uh, I mean, I have their, their, I have to be careful, but um, they don't, I don't have to have any medication. Because my OA sponsor called me and she said, Sharon, there's a new meeting in town. And I know if you go, you will get recovery. Because Sharon, I know the women in the room, in the room, and you'll know them too. And there's a light in their eyes. She didn't say anything about weight. That wasn't the issue at that point. She was trying to save my life. And she said, there's a light in their eyes. You have to go. And of course, I had every excuse not to go. Who would keep the kids? Blah, blah. And... um Finally, she says, look, I'm going to come. I'll sit with your kids. You go. And and then she says, or, you know, I'll come and I'll take you. You've got to go. And so I asked my husband, and he said, no problem. I'll watch the kids. You go right ahead. You know, which was um, really, my mind was really delusional about many, many things. And I went. I went. And from that day until now, I haven't eaten compulsively. And and what's really beautiful on page 57 of the big book is this remarkable statement, which I have found true for myself. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned. And at such times, a great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, she could not eat even if she would. God has restored her sanity. That is what has happened for me and for many others in the room. And what happened, and it can happen for anyone. This big book is no secret. It's no secret. It lays it out. It's available. And my hope is 
that this message spread to every compulsive overeater who is suffering. There is a solution. There is hope. There is hope. But there is a price that has to be paid. It's not free. We're not going to lay up in the bed and it be delivered to us. I had to get out of that bed. I had to go to a meeting. I had to surrender my will. I, I, I had to be different. I had to be willing to change. And I had to be different. And guess what? Today, I have to do that same thing. Because my way didn't work back then. And if I ever return to my way, it's still not going to work. It didn't work for 40 years. And it's still not going to work. Even though I, I want to try it sometimes because I really believe in my way. I believe that if I keep doing it, one day it's going to work. And I tried it countless times over and over again. But then I thought, well, now I'm free from food. Now it will work. But by the grace of God, I haven't picked up the food. But I tell you, I have tried to do it my things my way. I've tried to jump in that steering, uh, in that uh, driver's seat and drive the car. And I have ended up in the ditch over and over and over again. But what I did, this is a gift. This recovery is a gift. It isn't like, okay, we're going to do this. You do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Now I'm recovered. It's a gift. It's a gift that we get by working the program, by being willing, by letting go of self-will. And see, sometimes we can take the 12 steps up and work them out of our own self and then wonder why we don't get recovered. Because it, we're told over and over again, the key is not, it doesn't say do these 12 steps and you will recover. It's do the work and you'll position yourself to recover. Recovery is done to us. It is given to us. It's a gift we receive. It says humility runs through all of the 12 steps. It's not, okay, I'm going to hurry up and work and then I'm going to get recovered. That's that. goes back to that self. That self. Uh, on um, on uh, page, well, well, let me just say this. When I came to that meeting, I dragged my whole self there. I was a broken shell of a woman. I had used up all of my self-will uh, on trying to do life my way. I had had a lot of successes in my life. I would had a big, prominent job. I was recruited uh, weekly by recruiters. I, I uh, did very well. And even after I had, was broken and lost everything, I built myself back up in those 10 years in, in OA until I was working again and, and doing fairly well, got married. And then I got broken, broken down again. And I have to tell you that out of that brokenness came the best thing that could ever happen to me. And that, you know, I love my children. I love my husband. But this program really has given me my life. It's given me myself. On page uh, 26 of the 12 and 12, how did I, how did I, what happened here? 
how do we get this recovery? It says, just resign from the debating society and quit bothering yourself with such deep questions as whether it was the hen or the egg that came first. So that's one price I had to pay, is I had to resign. I'd already lost my job, or, or you know, and then I worked myself back up, and then I, I couldn't work because I was physically unable, uh, uh, you know, first because of, you know, after the birth of my, cho- of my son, I, I had some physical problems. But, um, but it says here, resign from the debating club and quit asking yourself such deep questions as to whether it was the hen or the egg that came first. So resign. That's the first, that was one of the things I had to do. Quit trying to think it out. I found that thinking was my greatest enemy. I, you see, I thought my brain was my biggest gift. And, and quite honestly, it is a gift. It is. I've been gifted with some talents, with some natural abilities. But they became my greatest enemy because I thought I could think myself into every solution. I thought it was my thinking that was going to solve my problem. And what I found out is my thinking created my problems. They cre- it created my problems. It could not solve them. I had to be willing to do what I was told. Me, who could think, who could outsmart so many, not all, I wasn't the smartest one in the room, but I was pretty bright. And I could do a lot of things, but I couldn't solve my problem. So I had to be willing to let the one uh, to, to, to come into the rooms, listen, and just do what I was told and not follow my own way. This, the, so I clung to these men and women in the rooms who had recovery, who had sobriety, who had sanity. So I went to meetings. I picked up the AA books, and I started reading and writing. I weighed and measured my food. That's what I was told. I ate only what I reported. I was told to report. Just tell it, you know, and they, I reported. Uh, and as an aside, I had done these things before because I had heard that they had worked. I had used all the tools. I had read the books. I even had, I had, didn't have a 12 and 12 or couldn't find it, but I had a big book that I had read from page to cover. And I had tried to do it. But what I found different in this recovery, in this group of women and men, was a group of people who had found a common solution that they were committed to. And they were committed to helping me. I could call any of them. They were all doing the same thing. And they could help me. And they were willing. And with my other group, you could call, and you couldn't get them on the phone. I tried to call. I tried to network. I tried to do. And I did. We'd walk, do walking and whatever. But when I had a problem, there was no one there to call. I couldn't build relationships because half the time people wouldn't call you back. They'd disappear and wouldn't come back. There wasn't that strong, solid group of people. But here, 
I found in this room with these women, with these men, a group of people who were dedicated to following the program of recovery as outlined by the big book. And so I knew what I could do. I could read the book. I could talk to them about what I read. I could ask questions. We could. We were doing it all together. So it was that togetherness. And so I'm an advocate of the group, of who we are. The big book tells us that if the, some of us cannot recover if the group is not there. We treasure the group. We hold on to the group. We honor the group. We put the group first. It must be there for some of us. And I'm one of them. Without the group, I cannot and did not recover. So, and the group is there. I have seen people come and go. They leave. But the group is always there. It's always there for me. And we're always together. We keep pressing into the middle. Even some in the middle, they drop off, come back in, come back, drop, come back. And, but there's, there's that core that's always there. We're always there for each other. And we're always there to welcome Whomever uh, comes in, whoever needs it, we're always together. And the group is big. It includes you here on the line. My group is big. It's large. It's ever-increasing. It's never-ending. And um, I'm so glad that I found it. It was there before I came, and it will be there when I'm gone. And we can join in. It's the people gathered around the big book, the 12 Steps of Recovery, this recovery program. Uh, working the tools and living in this recovery. The solution we have found in the big book. Page 14 of the big, of the big book talks about this recovery. It says, my friend had emphasized, the people in the rooms that I came into, had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. So my program became my life. In all my affairs, it became center and first and foremost. Now, I'm going to add to that in a moment. But my program, that's how I started. The program, particularly, was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. They told me in the very first meeting, service, service. I heard it. Now, I had to first get my recovery I had to first start eating right. Well, I did that right away. I never ate a, 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 an unweighed bite after that. I never had sugar, wheat, dairy. Uh, well, I actually, actually, my, my, uh, I had a little dairy because my nutritionist said I could. And then finally they said no more, and I got rid of that. I just did what I was told. It says faith without works was dead. Faith. It says something about faith right here. I was supposed to have some faith. I heard that. I could. I, and I, I had faith. I had faith. I had faith in the people. I had faith in the program. I had faith in what they were telling me. I saw the light in their eyes. Not the recovery because they hadn't lost a lot of weight at that time. I saw the light. It showed up first. The smile, the joy, the peace. I knew that if they could get it, I could too. It's, it's free in that regard. But I had to pay a price. What was the price that I had to pay? I had to let go of myself, my self-will. They told me something about ego. I didn't even, I've been in the room 10 years. If I had heard about ego, I didn't really know what they were talking. I didn't hear much about ego. 
it says, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge upon his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, there's that word again, self-sacrifice, service, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. So they told me I could have this recovery forever. I never, ever had to eat another bite. There wasn't a feeling of shakiness in the room. There wasn't a fear, a, a feeling of fear that, that we weren't going to be able to have it. It was a feeling of joy and adulation that we, we were going to have this forever if we just stuck with it, if we just accepted this spiritual life, this spiritual and grew spiritually. And the first step, the first thing, step zero, they told me, was abstinence. Do not eat. Again, do not do it. You have us, work with us, stick with us, and we will, together, we will recover. And it's simple, but not easy. A price had to be paid. And uh, it says here on page 14, uh, excuse me, I think I had said page 13 for the other one, but um, excuse me, let me, let me just regroup. I, I said page 13, but I read page 14. Let me tell you what happened on page, what he says on page 13. My friend promised that when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator. So that was the start. And, and I said I was going to get back to it when I was reading page 14. But the start, and I thought I could get this program because I had faith in God, but it I was so deeply faithful and, you know, uh, I just really believed. And, and, and I thought for the 10 years that this belief, and I kept trying God and God and praying and believing and fasting and praying and meditating, I couldn't get it. But it says here, my friend promised that they, when these things were done, I would enter a new relationship with my creator. So what are the things? See, I needed a new relationship with my creator. And so when I began that group, really, were my um, substitute. They were my substitute. I held on to them. I believed that God had sent them because I couldn't get recovered. So I accepted this program as, my, as a message from my higher power, that I was supposed to cling to them, do whatever they told, and what they told me to do was what my higher power was telling me to do. They were God to me. And it says here um, that... Um, it says that I would have the elements of a new way of living. So that's another. I had, to, I had to let go of my way so that I could get a new way of living. And, uh, and here's what it, it would take. And it would answer all my problems. And as I've told you, I had a lot of problems. I had a lot of medical problems. My oldest son, my son, my older son had Down syndrome. So I was taking him to doctors. I was limping around. I was sick. I had a two-year-old with high energy, I mean an eight-month-old, who was taking a lot of energy. I, I had a lot of problems in my life. But, and I needed help. And I was using food as my solution. And it, I was getting worse and worse, digging deeper and deeper. It says belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new other order of things was the essential requirement. So here, in a nutshell, and I hope you're following along. I hope I didn't uh, throw you off, but I'm going to circle back around to where I was at. But I want to just be clear 
about I, I actually wrote this all out. I just want to step back. I wrote this all out, but I got so excited I couldn't I couldn't just read what I wrote. I had to start telling the story. So bear with me, uh, because what you're hearing is my enthusiasm and my joy and my desire that that you get this recovery because it's available to you. And I know that your higher power is is here, and I want to be that channel so that your higher power can speak to you and give you what you need today so that you too can recover, so that you can join me and join us, so that you and I can be together in this recovery and so that many, many more can come along with us so that it can spread across this country and so that all all of the suffering compulsive overeaters have access. Now, whether they receive it or not, we, we have no control, but so that they hear this message that there is recovery from compulsive overeater. There is a way to recover and stay recovered for the rest of your life, a way that is not only good for us, but is good for everyone. This recovery plan that we have, this message that we have, is not just the message that is good for compulsive overeaters or alcoholics or addicts. This is a message that everyone, everyone, can grab hold of and help solve the problems in their lives. Belief in the power of God, of your choosing, this bottom of page 13, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility. Those are the prices. I have to be willing. That's a price. Let go of myself. Be willing to listen to a new way of doing things. Not trying to figure it out. Let go of the debate society club. Let go. Let go. Let it go. It didn't work. There is a way that will work. And honesty. And I'm going to tell you, honesty, Bill W. says in some of his writings, there is no uh, alcoholic that can be completely honest. We don't even know what it means, honestly. I had to grow in honesty because I was so self-deceived. This is a process. Recovery is a process. And, we, and, and, uh, and one of the great things we have to do, I had to do, is to admit my imperfection. I had such a hard time with that. Humility, that humility. So we have willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements, the new order. It's going to be a new order, not the old. We're getting rid of that, and we're going to pay. We're going to. We're we're, we're willing to pay the price to get a new order. And there is a price. Anything, and you know, uh, here it's free. You can get it, but there's a price to an entrance price to get that door open. There's a there's a price to be paid, and it's not free. And so when you get it. Don't let it go because you may not get the admissions cost again. If you get one day, rejoice, be gracious, have throw up the flag, shout for joy, call up people, press in even harder. So every day of abstinence is a day for gratitude and rejoicing and never, ever, ever let it go because there is a price for it. It's not that you're going to just get it because the price has to be paid. You have to have that willingness. 
It's a gift from God, and we don't know if we're going to get it back again. And so these, uh, so we have to enter into this relationship with power that would give us a way of living that would solve all our problems. And we had to that belief in, in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things. So in this room, these women, so so I, I started off with that willingness, and they, and, and, and the phone call, I would call, and I would ask for help. What should I do? What about this? What about that? In any of the problems in my life, I would just ask because I found that there was so much wisdom. I often wonder, how can a bunch of insane, compulsive overeaters help each other? How could they help me? But I found out was that uh, I could also help people because I can see solutions. I can help you. Uh, because I can point you to the big book, I can I can point you to another compulsive overeater who who may uh, be able to help you, and and I can listen, and and occasionally I have a, a, a thought that my higher power opens up to me that I can share with you. So, but humility is a thread that runs through all these steps. Humility. So page sixty two. Let's go to page 62 of the big book here. So we did step one and two. We admitted we were powerless. We we uh, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, for me, it was, uh, you know, I, I believed in God, but uh, God sent me to the rooms because uh, for somehow whatever God was, was uh, telling me, I couldn't get recovered just with my higher power and myself alone. I needed the group. I needed the room. I had to be in the rooms. And um, one of the things they told me very early on, page 62, uh, this is our step three, selfishness, self-centeredness, the first full paragraph, that we think is the root of our troubles. So wait a minute. I thought it was food. I thought it was my allergies. I thought it was my husband. I thought it was that my children were trouble, had uh, disabilities. I thought it was my baby was so high-spirited. I thought it was because life had treated me bad. My dad went to Vietnam. Uh, uh, There was race roars. There was riots. There was assassinations. My teacher was racist. And and, uh, the world, you know, is doggone sexist. These are my problems. What? It says here, page 62, selfishness, self-centeredness. It took them a lot. It took the group a lot to get me to believe this. But once I believed it, and see, it it was a prog- it was a progression. I mean, I had to I had to start by paying the price of willingness, humility, and laying myself down, and and asking for questions, and opening it up. And then they had to they had to tell me, Sharon, you're 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 stay on your side of the street. Sharon, listen to yourself. Look at yourself. So I had to be willing to op- to, to 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 be taught. The price I had to pay, that humility. And and then it says I had to accept that the root of my problems was selfishness and self-centeredness. What? I'm always trying to help. I'm trying to help you. Look, I'll tell you everything I know to help you. You see, I see your problems, and I can tell you your solution. You see? I can tell my husband what he needs to do differently. 
I can see in the world that they need more love. And I want to help. But the price I had to pay to even get to that point to help is to recognize my own selfishness, my own self-centeredness. That was really, really hard. And the steps really helped me by working that four step like they told me to in the fifth and sixth and seventh, eighth and ninth, and just that humility throughout. Work and realize the recognizing my selfishness and self centeredness has been progressive, right? I it didn't it it came it's come slowly. I'm still realizing how and and popping into it, and so I really 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 need the steps every single day uh, to help me. Uh, step ten every day to see my selfishness and self centeredness. I'm hoping I'm hoping you're following me because I'm still like I'm I'm, I'm uh, jumping around a bit. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, they did not go away overnight. They did not go away by just working through the twelve steps one time. I'm I'm sorry to say, I wish it would have happened. I had to stick with my group. They had to keep telling me. I had to keep talking with them. They had to keep working with me. I had one of my my fellows come and and work through the steps. Uh, just around uh, some of my relationship issues, I had to go through all twelve steps on that. I went. I've gone through numerous four steps. I had to go through four steps just around my my marriage. Excuse me, around my uh, different relationships over and over again. At one point, I thought the more I opened up, the more I saw uh, resentment inside of me. I got through the four step. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like a, a, a little guy got bored inside of me that all he did all day long was crank out resentment, just a little resentment cranker, until I got so sick, so fed up with myself that I cried out to God, I just can't take it anymore. I can't go through another fourth, uh, another tenth, another, uh, it was so, <laughs> uh, four step. I'd go through these mini four steps every day. I'm 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 telling my sponsor about another resentment until I just was so sick of myself. Until I just thought, I'm done. I'm so done with you. But this was after been in program for years. That we think I mean recovered, not eating compulsively, and still struggling, working on this. I hope you don't have to go through this as long as I did. But recognition. The price that had to be paid, the de- destruction of selfishness and self-centeredness. See, I was driven by a hundred forms of fear. They didn't go away in a year or two. But God help you that yours will go through, go quicker, quicker than mine. Self-seeking and self-pity. We step on the toes. I kept doing it. Sometimes they hurt us. I read it already, seemingly without provocation. I went through that over and over again. And then, page 63, when we sincerely took such, such a position, this is uh, all sorts of remarkable things followed. What was that position? Remarkable things started to happen. First of all, I had to quit playing God. I had to let it go. That's the price. Had to quit. But see, I first had to see that I was playing God. You see, I didn't know I was playing God. I had so many delusions. I was really buried under. I was a sick cookie when I came into the rooms. 
and a lot of it was of my own making. I was buried in illusions. I had I had uh, retired from life many many years ago and had taken up this illusion of life of a certain life of my own. So first of all, we had to quit playing God. That's the here that this is the how and the why of it. This is the how and the why. It didn't work. It didn't work. You see what happened? I was a mess. I was dying. I was killing myself. Next, we decided that hereafter, in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. I love the saying, divine director, divine, because there's something supernatural that's happening, fourth dimensional, that takes place in my life. When I let go, as I let go, and I I work on it every single day, accepting my higher power daily, moment by moment, when I let go completely, miraculous things happen on a daily, moment by moment basis, 12, 13 years into this recovery, and it's still happening. I was so afraid, and part of the reason I couldn't accept it immediately is I didn't trust God. I didn't trust anybody. I could trust those women that got recovered because if I did what they did, I could stay recovered. But I didn't trust anybody else. Uh, But I had to let go in this drama of life. God was going to be the director. So at some point, and and I really, the women, uh, the men, put my hand in the hand of God. And I felt that. I saw that visual of them putting my hand in God's hand. So that I could really have a good relationship, a real relationship, not a delusional relationship with God. I could have that relationship. They put my hand. And then I soon realized that I had to stay with this group, with these group, with you, so that my hand would stay in the hand of God. Because without you, I let go. I put both hands back on the steering wheel. I push God aside, and I'm roaring down the freeway once again. So I, the price I have to pay is I have to cling to you with all of my life, with all of my heart. I cannot let you go because without you, I cannot have my God. I cannot allow him to direct me and, and, and be divine in my life. He is the principal. I'm okay with that, and I can live with that if I stick with you. We are his agents. I can be his agent to you, and I believe that you are receiving a message from your higher power today. He is the father. We are his children. I am not the master, and I am not the mush on the ground. I am a living, breathing, powerful being. By the grace of God, I can live fully and happily. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant art through which we passed to freedom. Freedom. There's a price for freedom. It's not free. It's, there's a price, and we pay that price when we sincerely took such a position. All sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. See, he was there for us. She was there for us. It was there for us. Being all-powerful, it provided what we needed. If we kept close, keeping the hand in the hand of God, I need this program, I need you, and performed his work well, being of service, maximum usefulness to God and my fellows, 
established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, the destruction of self-will, our little plans, little plans and designs. Guess what? Now we can be about big plans, big designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, see, lack of power was my dilemma. Now, I've paid the price, the destruction of self-will. I've let go of self. Power flows in. We enjoyed peace of mind as we discovered we could face life successfully. Thank, thank my higher power. Thank God. As we become conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear, you know, driven by a thousand forms of fear, but by the grace of God and the help of this program and my fellows and you, I've lost my fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. I was reborn. And you can be too. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon, for your powerful, inspiring, and passionate message this morning. Thank you so much. And Sharon's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the meeting, so please stay tuned for that. We're now going to transition to a question and answer period. If you have any questions for Sharon, please press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself. Santa H. Hi, Santa. Who else? Star 1 to unmute with any questions for Sharon. Hi, this is Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Okay, great. All right, Santa, go ahead. Kick us off, please, with your question. Thank you, Leah, for your service. And thank you so much, Sharon, for your sharing your experience, truth, and hope. So, so, so helpful for me. Um, my question is to you is, what was resonating for me as you were sharing is um, is a compelling message that we're studying on step 12. It's been helping me is meeting people where they're at. And if you can share on that, please, for me, from your experience, you can hold as a sponsor. How have you learned to evolve in that process and became more skillful at meeting people where they're at. And with that, I pass. Well, thank you, Santa, for that question, meeting people where they are, they're at. And I, uh, I have had a lot of sponsees and, and um, early on, you know, when I was in the room for 10 years, I, I had someone ask me to sponsor, and it just freaked me out because I I didn't feel recovered enough to, to have something to give away. So the the first and, – and, and then when I uh, did get this current recovery, I, I started sponsoring when I had – after about three months less than three months or so, I started uh, sponsoring. And 
uh, it's been a huge learning experience. And and part of and part of why I was able to start sponsoring at three months is because I was being sponsored. And so and and I had a network of sponsors I could that were in my community. And so when I sponsored I I was taught never to sponsor out of myself because I'm still growing and learning. So what I was taught was to spot just just give away what you got. So I I would I would just give to my sponsees. I would just tell them uh, to do just what I was told to do. And um and so I just they that's the way I would sponsor. Now as I've and and it worked and 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 uh if they didn't work with for me then then I would they would go get someone else or I'd help them find someone else that that could work better for them. Uh and so but I I worked with a lot of a lot of people but meeting them where they're at I I found that even the people that are have the most horrible and difficult life situations can recover. And I I just, the way I look at my sponsoring is I'm walking alongside that person. I'm the conduit at page 99 of the uh, 12 and 12. I am the channel through which HP flows when I'm dealing with my sponsees. So one of the things I do is never sponsor out of myself. And if you want more conversation about that, we can talk about that. But I always, I, I am, I try to leave myself at the, at the door, and and come in uh, as a as a channel through which HP flows. And if I don't know, I go and talk with another sponsor and get support and tell them I'll come back and I'll get back to you. And I still use that today if I run into situations with my sponsees. Thank you very much, Santa, for the question. Sherry, your turn, please. Hi, this is Sherry. I'm a compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Um, I want to thank you very much, Sharon, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Um, oh, it was wonderful to hear you, and I could so relate, um, you know, with the with the weight. You know, my top weight was 165, and I lost 30 pounds over and over again, probably four or five times in and out of OA, um, and never wanting to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. I am going through the steps now with a um, sponsor that I found on Vision for You, um, and I just finished my third step last week. And my question for you is um, the what really scares me, and I want to hear um, what your experience on it is turning my will and my um my life over the care of God is very um hard for me. I'm really scared. Um I've been doing it on my own for so long, my food, my life, and I've been doing a really crappy job. Um I've trashed relationships, um, a marriage and um so I've done a terrible job, but why do I want to hold on to my ways when they're so rotten. They're not good. I don't. They don't work for me. Um, why is it so difficult for me um, to turn, you know, my life over to God? And I noticed. Um, 
I work a very disciplined um, OA program with my food and my tools, and I've noticed that I was starting to take back my will last week with some food items that are um, taking it upon myself to make my own decisions before I would talk to my food sponsor about it or my nutritionist. And that, for me, is a sign um, of, you know, a slippery slope. So am I taking my will back? Am I my fear of going into doing these steps and having to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. What is your experience with that? Were you scared um, to do that? I have gone through these steps before um, with a big book, Step Studies uh, sponsor, and I was eating through my fourth step and eating through my fifth step. Um, So that's why I'm doing this over again. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so what what um <clears throat> that fear of letting go uh, and um really the 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 when you're going through your fourth step it's okay to have fears because doing that fourth step is really where you're going to start looking at your fears. And for me, after I'd done about 100 we I had a we had a form that we have I was given a form and it it was basically uh the uh fourth step just laid out on it all on one sheet and <clears throat> so <clears throat> after I've gone through about 150 of those and I kid you not uh and there's like three or four resentments on each page and I was so sick of it and I just I was so sick of myself and those fears, and, and what it says when we when we look at our fears, is it says, are you self reliant or God reliant in your fear? And then when you look at your fear in the, in the um, in the big book here, it tells us when you after you, you list those fears, then you ask yourself, uh, uh, you know, were you God reliant or self reliant? And inevitably, when you have a fear, you're self reliant. So the, the answer is always self reliant. And I'm self-reliant. Well, when you you list out all those fears and you look at them one by one, let's look at it. Let's look at what that fear is doing for you. Is that, is, has that worked for you? Is that fear, is that, not the fear, but is the self-reliance working for you? So we see that the fear is based on self-reliance. So when I'm relying on myself, I'm full of fear because I know the truth is I can't control the world out there. And the fear is I'm not going to get things the way I want it or what I want is going to be taken care or things aren't going to happen. I'm not going to – it's just not going to be what I want it to be. And so I'm afraid. And 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 the and the fact of the matter is, guess what? We it's true. I can't control anything out there. So how do I live in a world where I can't control what's going on? The answer is you rely on God. And the dilemma is, I don't trust God. I don't trust God. I some circumstances I can tell you God didn't come through for me. But the reality is I can't trust myself either. So what is it going to be? So what I've done 
is I've done an experiment. I tried an experiment with God. I said, okay, I've got this really big problem. And you say I can rely on you. Well, I'm going to just try it for a day or two or a few. I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to try it. Just try it. What am I, what do I have to lose? What do I have to lose? So I started trying to rely on God. Trying. I just started saying, okay, God, I'm going to rely on you in this. It's a big thing. And I don't think you can do it. Like when I came to, when I came to speak today, I hope it worked. And if it didn't, you go talk to God because I, I said, God, help me. <laughs> I'm relying on you. But I, I did this. And I have a list. I started writing what God did for me. And I realized he's or she or it is doing a better job than I am. So what I say to you is try it. And and what got me interested in trying is I looked at the other people. Look at look at me. Look at look at the people on the line. We've tried it. This God thing works. And we're the proof. And if you try it, it'll work for you too. But guess what? It's something that you have to practice. You have to work. You're not going to just open your eyes up one day and boom, you're 100% trusting God. You got to work at it. You got to work at it. Pass. Thank you, Sherry, for the question. Who else has a question this morning for Sharon, please? Nadia B. Deborah R. Anne Marie M. Anyone else? All right, let's go with Amy those. G. Hey, Amy. Okay. Maria B., go ahead. Hi, this is Nadia B. from Connecticut. Grateful, recovered, um, compulsive overeater. Sharon, thank you so much for your um, service, and it worked for me. Um, so I just have a question. Um, if you could please talk a little bit about your spiritual practices and um, how they changed over time and how you work on your connection with your higher power. Thank you. Well, thank you for the question, Maria. And it it has been a uh, transition for me over the over the years. I um, when I first did step eleven and uh, started uh, with the daily prayer and meditation, I did a half an hour a day in the morning. So I'd get up early and and then I would write what I felt God was speaking, you know, speaking to me. So I I did it. I was given to do the big book way, uh, or the actually it was it was called the twelfth. Uh, the AA 12-step way. And I did that, and I did it for for an extended, you know, perhaps years that way. But my life was still unmanageable. Even though I was doing, you know, this was in, you know, my current recovery. And um, and I was, I was trying to pray, and I was doing all of the, you know, checking off all of the boxes. And um, and then finally one day I said, God, 
I'm still miserable. And I'm spending a lot of time in prayer and meditation. I'm spending a lot of time uh, trying to connect and be with you. Now, I am abstinent, but I feel like something is missing. And I'm not feeling that connection. And um, <clears throat> and so I got up off my knees and I said, God, I'm not going to get back on my knees until you do something. I'm not doing what you want me to do because I'm not being what I know you want me to be. So there's something wrong in this methodology that I'm using. And um, and so I got up and I said, I'm throwing myself. I'm at you. Just show me what to do. And um, Quite honestly, um, I just started um, uh, working on my connection with God as God would see fit. And I just said, I'm seeking you. I'm seeking that relationship, not a checklist, because it was dead to me. I wasn't growing. And since then, I've been on this journey of God's make, of God's choosing, of evolving, of, of uh, you know, a, a lot of it has been, uh, you know, very closely tied to the to the 12 steps, reading some of the books um, uh, from, that the early uh, AAers read, uh, uh, doing a lot of prayer meditation, you know, sometimes hours and sometimes, you know, not very much. But just always, every day, keeping my eye on my HP. And, and recently, I'm, you know, kind of uh, developed, uh, uh, you, know, you know, prayer meditation. And I actually sometimes, I have uh, uh, the uh, meditation, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, MPV, MPG or whatever it is, on my phone that, you know, has the, has a few words and then, um, positive affirmation words and then some music and it's on my phone so in my life where I you know tracking kids and running here and there I can I can uh, pause for you know 10 15 20 minutes and do a meditation throughout the day so I don't limit it just to the morning but I always do I have a little morning routine and and uh, you know do my 10th step every day every night and uh uh, every, you know, read that to my sponsor and so forth. So, um, and let me just say this, I've always done a 10 step and I, I actually read that to my sponsor and then we discuss that every day and any actions I need to take around that. But, um, that's my evolution. Thank you, Maria, for the question. Deborah R., Hi, this is Deborah R. And thank you, Sharon, very much. Um, delight to listen to, and uh, um, it's a delight. Thank you very much. And my question is: um, When I'm talking to either sponsees or fellows who are trying to find this road of recovery, and they feel I feel like they're insistently offering, you know, this excuse, that rationalization. I've done this before. I've been in a program. Um, but, you know, now I've got a cold or job stress, fill in the blank. And I try to politely, as I can, 
say, you know, can we get back on track of talking on, you know, what the problem is and share where we're going to read in the book or whatever. I don't, that's just not my strong suit to have the elegant word to say, put the cotton, take the cotton out of your ears, please, and put them in your mouth um, without coming across as, you know, who's the sponsor here and, you know, who's the one still eating if you get my drift. I tried to, just wondered if you run into that and, and have any techniques, words, um, actions that might um, I could add to my repertoire of how to communicate with someone who just wants to tell me how bad it is and um, so with that, I will pass. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, well, I I I can only tell you what my um, no one no one was really uh, nurturing of my uh, ego side, uh, and it sounds like your sponsee's got a lot of ego going on there and a lot of uh, selfishness and self-centered, and no one nurtured my selfishness and self-centeredness in this program. No one was considerate of my selfishness and self-centeredness. No one was considerate of my ego. They talked to my ego, and they said, uh, your ego is not welcome here. That's what my, they just, they said, that's just not going to work. You can find another sponsor, but I'm looking for someone who is willing to do the work. And what I was taught, now, if you're willing, I will, and I tell you, the people that worked with me, they went to the ends of the earth for me. I kid you not, for my, to help me get recovered and stay recovered. And they're still there for me. We're, you know, and I would do the same for them. But they would do nothing for my ego, not one thing. As a matter of fact, they would slap the ego and the self-centeredness right down and say, uh, we can end this conversation right now. Not have, uh, we're just not talking. I'm not, you know. I'm not talking to, to that person. If you want recover, recovery, show up. I'm not going to go and dig you out of a hole and drag you over here to get recovered because guess what? It's not going to work. You're not going to get recovered because no one can make another person be willing, and willingness is essential for recovery. So you can say lovingly say, you, if you want, call me back when you're willing, and if I'm available, I'll help you. And then quickly go out and, and, and find someone who's willing. Because there's so many people that want what we have. And if we're spending all of our time trying to nurture someone who, could, who isn't willing, who isn't humble enough to accept what you say, then it's a waste of time. And what I was taught is that it puts my recovery at risk. And so I had to, I have to just be willing to hold on to people loosely. 
task. Thank you, Deborah R., for the question. Anne-Marie M., your turn. Uh, thank you, um, Blaya, uh, for your service. And um, thank you so much, Sharon, for I just heard so much hope in sharing your experience. I just thank you so much. Um, the question I have, I'm, I'm thinking you may have answered already, but um, what I what I heard, and maybe I misunderstood, was that when you first got after that first meeting, you were able to put down the sugar and the or whatever trigger foods that you had. You were able to do that. My question is, and um, I've heard a lot of people with difficulty with this: is after you put down the sugar and flour, and you are abstinent, what? Um, what, how do you how if did you have a problem with kind of like white knuckling it or did you have a problem before you got the spirituality before you really got into steps two and three? Um, how did you if you did have that kind of a problem like kind of white knuckling it and biting your fingernails, um, wanting the food? Um, how did you? What well, what helps you if if that was a problem for you? That's my question. Thank you. Yeah, and that's a really interesting uh, uh, question. How is it that I could go from one minute to the next? You know, before that meeting, I was out of control eating, you know, really disabled in many ways because I was, you know, just dragging. I mean, I didn't even think I could sit through the meeting. It happened to be a two-hour meeting. And so, which I didn't know at the time that I was going to a two-hour meeting, and and I, and I I didn't even think I could sit through a one-hour meeting, and then two hours was gone, and and uh, but uh, I I um, and that's why it's there's there's something called grace where God just does something, and uh, it just happens because you get hope and you believe, and you are willing to do the work. And I, I think that that having that hope, that that belief, you see, it says, you know, faith in a um, in a is that faith that what they had, I could have. And so I believed that I could recover from that moment. And so I, I always say I'm out of options. I never gave myself the option to turn around. I, if a thought came, see, I never thought, and, and I think, you know, all action is born in thought. So we don't pick up that first bite unless at some point we gave ourselves permission. And I, I, well, I never allowed myself to think of anything but this program of recovery. And that's why I, I, um, you know, at the beginning of of the talk, I was I was um, reading th- uh, that. Um, no, I, I lost my train of thought here. But but we have to just. And I, I'm, I'm struggling here because it, you know it really was a gift of, of from God. But there that the action there's that our thinking is where our problems reside. And so never to think about 
the old life, you know, giving up the thinking and and uh, what the the one thing that I had um, talked about, uh, simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness, turning in all things to the Father of Light, but also that um, willingness to set aside my thinking, my way, my ideas, um, uh, you know, residing from the debate club, if that's the thought I was thinking about. I had to, I had resigned to my wrongness. You know, I had admitted I was wrong. And so it made it easier for me to adopt what these other people said. Now, what did I do? I have to be honest, it was the tools. It was the tools. And for me, uh, they added the elements of weighing and measuring. So, and, and following, uh, strictly following a food plan. And I didn't have to go through, I know a lot of people go through getting a list of binge foods. They just, they just said, we're just take away typical binge foods. And then if anything else comes up, you get rid of that too. So right from the very moment, I started that very day, they just gave me the plan, get rid of all this, all, you know, the wheat and flour and sugar. And, and so I got rid of the major binge foods and set those aside and just dove right into uh, just working on eating a healthy food plan. And then I went and, and worked with a nutritionist later, but the, my sponsor just gave me her plan. I started working that and, and we, and then we, you know, I had to go because I was nursing, and so I had to get, you know, do things differently and so forth. But, and then my allergies, we had to add, had to end up adding all that in. But we just quickly, we just came up with a, a rescue emergency a food plan, and I started weighing and measuring. So I had to focus on weighing and measuring, and I had to focus on making phone calls and and diving in and reading the literature and writing, and and uh, so that's what I did, and that became my new life. You see. And so I didn't have time to live the old life and worry about going back into the food. Thank you, Emory, for the question. Amy G, you're up. Thank you, Sharon, so much for your share. So awesome. Love to hear the passion and the recovery. Uh, my question is, clearly you walked into a very strong meeting that, you know, used the balance um, between the tools to put the food down and then move into the instructions of the big book and the 12 steps. I guess my question is, you know, for a newcomer, what what should they be looking for? I mean, I agree that fellowship and going to attending meetings is, is a crucial part of our recovery, but as a newcomer, I wouldn't have known what a strong meeting versus a weak meeting. I mean, what exactly would we be looking, would a newcomer be looking for going to a meeting, and then if there is no meeting in their area or there are no strong meetings in their area, I mean, what is it you would suggest that they would do? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And, and um, you know, of course I would recommend that they get on the vision for you and, and you know, dive into the big book. And, and uh, if they don't have meetings in their area and uh, – but um, – what what we did what happened in in my community is is the fellowship grew up around us and so now there's there's many meetings and so um but and i have found and i thought it would be really hard to do over the phone 
but I have there are are some really really strong uh, bone uh, communities where they are networked together and uh, really all and I really you know in all honesty I I believe it's very helpful to the newcomer when everybody's kind of doing the same thing and so you you enter into that. And and so you can you don't have the confusion and it doesn't allow self to get in because if 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 you're doing it one way then I'm going to do that and then you're doing it a different way then I'm going to try and do that and then this person is doing it that way and I'm going to just try and pick and choose what I'm going to do and it's going to be a disaster because I'm only going to pick pick what's comfortable for me and I'm not going to be doing the hard things and not being told. Uh, you know, be called out on my ego is egotism and self selfishness and self centeredness, and so that's so there are the hope the the beauty is is that there are strong phone communities, and um, and if a person is willing and they want recovery, I'm going to tell you if and even for me, I I was suffering and struggling for ten years in the rooms. And when when I this meeting was not in existence in our community in our state, but then it materialized, and I believe it was for me because I was praying and asking God for help, and the meeting materialized, right? And so the same for anyone on this phone, your recovery is going to is there for you. Reach out your hand, reach out, reach for it, and it will. It will come to you. You will get it. It 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 will happen. And work for it. Let me say that. Begin to work for it. Thank you, Amy G, for your question. And one more invitation for questions this morning. This will be the last invitation. So press Pam. star one. I'm sorry. Your name? My name is Pam G. I'd Hi, like Pam. Hold on one second. Who else? Final opportunity for right now with questions. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. Yes, this is Gail T. in Texas. Hi, Gail. Okay, Pam, go right ahead, please. Thank you, thank you. Um, I believe this is Sharon, correct? Correct. Yes, thank you so much. I think my higher power has been leading me to these meetings this morning. So I I ask you this with with a lot of humility. I'm a compulsive eater. I've been participating in Big Book, uh, one of the many Big uh, Book-focused fellowships in OA. And my question is, do you think that what I've been doing, uh, which worked for a while, it doesn't seem to be working as well now, uh, because I got into the sugar, which is going to the higher power and asking the higher power for guidance on what to eat rather than having a set of rigid food plan, a rigid, sort of what I perceive as a rigid food plan can work. And I just want to add as an addendum, I think that it, the reason it's not working for me is because I keep turning back to my binge food, which is sugar in, in times of stress. So even though I've been working this big book program, I think that that's where I'm failing. But do you think, basically the question is, do you think uh, the plan of just going to God is a viable and feasible option, I pass. 
Well, uh, what have you been through all the steps already? Yes, I have. I, I just had remuted myself. Yes, I have. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I um I think that um all all of all of that that is just all the same thing, and it's all going to result in the same same conclusion. Personally, I think that um, I know for me, and from what I've read of the Big Book is that you, you never go with your plan for recovery. If you got a plan for recovery, then you're in self-reliance. And the and even if your plan includes God, it's still you're in the driver's seat. Okay, now I'm going to go do this, and now I'm going to do that. And it's all driver's seat. And how do you get recovery? Is you become willing. I mean, it's you know, what does it say on page 14? It just kind of breaks it down for us. Um, or, uh, or page 13. Belief in a power of God, enough willingness, honesty, and humility and to establish and maintain the new order of things. And so oftentimes what I've seen is that people, people the humility piece, and um and uh, and that's why community of of recovering compulsive overeaters is is what we need, not just a sponsor, because if the sponsor the sponsor's fallible, but the community is going to be there to 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 uh, to show you yourself. And a lot of times we we slip not because we go back to the sugar, it's because we went back to self, and we start we picked up we got back in the driver's seat. And we started running the show. And we didn't listen, you know, because I don't need to listen to, you know, because I know enough my way. And we're going back to our way. It's, it's, all, it's, it's back to self, back to my way. And we think now, and, and this is the danger of getting a little recovery under your belt. The day you're in the most dangerous spot once you got a little recovery. Because you're getting caught, and, and is is because then... You think now I can have it my way, and you you forgot the price you paid. The price of recovery is to get rid of yourself. It, you, it's not like you pay the price once and then that's it. This every morning you pay the price every day, every moment. We have to get rid of self will. You can't, a man with no legs doesn't all of a sudden grow new ones. You don't all of a sudden know how to run your life after you get a few weeks of recovery, or a day or two, a month, a year, six years, ten years. You're going to always have to put those legs on, those, those artificial legs, those prosthetic devices. So no, it's not getting another plan. It's going back to the book, going back to the recovery program, and finding what you missed, and oftentimes it's it's really it's that relationship you let go of the hand of the higher power, and you went back to self, and and uh, and then you got back in the sugar. So I pass. Thank you, Pam, for the question. And our last question for the morning comes from Gail T.
Gail, press star one to unmute. I thought I was unmuted. Okay, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. And Sharon, it's not so much a question as much as a profound thank you. Almost like I might start crying, which I didn't know I was going to do. Because what I do is I can be, I've been in the program, not a vision for you, but a program for a long time. I do not eat those foods anymore. They're just, I have revulsion. But I'm in this relapse of grazing and I blame it on my life like you were blaming it on your life and and so I got that's just part of the sickness really and that spiritual fitness is a full-time job and you know giving up or surrendering is surrendering to my food plan and not grazing is such a surrender for me because 